Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's June 24th, you're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, so... Not really June 24th. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of early, but uh, that's okay. Peering into the future. But... Yeah. Right about now, I'm on the highway headed to Cape Cod. Oh, very nice. Yeah, we're doing that while we're up there, so I'm going to go to P-Town and all that stuff, so we're going to have fun. Are you going to get Cape Cod Cranberry Cocktail? I think I am. Ocean Whatever that spring? is. Whatever that is. <laughs> I'm getting it. Delicious. Okay, I'm relaxing while I'm up there, so I'm getting whatever it takes to relax me while I'm there. All right, well, you relax when you're up there, because right now you're going to need it, because we're going to get you all jittery, because we have a very exciting announcement yes. off this week's show. We probably should have some music. It goes, oh, 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 like <laughs> CNN Breaking News, right? <laughs> all right, AntiUp is opening its own subscription-based online poker room, AntiUpPokerRoom.com. Yes! Beautiful name. And we're hosting our very first online Ania Poker Tour event on that platform July 7th through 17th. The winner of the main event will appear on the cover of the August issue of Ania, and that ain't half bad for less than 15 bucks. Now, the site is open to residents of 25 states uh, where our platform provider has determined subscription-based poker to be legal. So check that site to see if your state is one of them. If it is, Yay! Sign up and play as much poker as you want for fourteen ninety five a month and uh, join the Annie Up uh, Poker Tour. And that's true. I mean, a lot of times people will say, uh, you know, you can win your way into the World Series for forty bucks, and then it's like, no, that's a satellite. No, no, we're we're me fourteen ninety five. You join the site, you could play in the Annie Up main event, right? That's the way it goes. Correct. Yep. That's yep. it. So you could be on our cover for fourteen ninety five. My name is Earl Shrive, and I'll paint that car for fourteen ninety five. That was great. I actually had a car painted by Earl Shrive, not him himself. <laughs> not him, but his company. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, this is great. We've been, we've been talking about uh, how cool it would be to have an online uh, poker room for forever, and then obviously Black Friday came, and then of course it was pipe dream back before then, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've been approached by a couple different people doing something. None of them just seemed to really work out, and. Um, but we have high hopes for this uh, this company that contacted us and helped us set up the Um Obviously, we wish that uh, online poker is regulated and open to everyone. We go back that way. Um, but it's not. So the best we can offer is a subscription model, uh, which some people probably really love. Some people probably don't. But we're going to make it as fun as possible with all our Annie up stuff in there. And um, you know, we're going to have the tour this month, but then we're going to be working with a lot of our... Um, uh, poker partners around the country to um, come up with some exciting prizes for future months on there. So uh, if you want to come join and, and play with us, uh, again, it's only 15 bucks a month. So 
and then uh, you can play all the tournaments that we sponsor, and then there are some system-wide tournaments as well that you can play. So, yeah, so I mean, it's it's a, my, this is your option. It's too. a real opportunity to make money. I mean, it's not a you know, you're not just playing for prizes, right? I mean, it's a way to yeah, make there's cash. some money, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and we'll be honest, it's not uh, playing on poker stars where you could win millions of dollars, but right. uh, but it's a good way to come and play with people that you know and you like and you know from the show, and um, yeah, win a little cash, win a couple prizes, and just have fun. Yeah, maybe Papes will It'll move there. You know, maybe Papes will be there someday. Yeah, you know? could be. Yeah. Um, I guess you know, I anyway. wider than 25 stays. I don't want to exclude anyone for Papes, but. Um, but definitely, we we can do both for now. And uh, if you're one of the lucky people that lives in these 25 states, and they're hoping to add more soon as well too. So uh, even if one of your states, your state you live in, isn't on that list now, don't worry. As they add more, we'll let you know. And uh, down the road, you can join. But hopefully, uh, we'll get enough participation from folks in those 25 states to make this really fun. So we're looking forward to it. You know what's hard to believe is um, we we're going about to talk about the World Series, and we're we're basically recording this like on the 12th or something, but. It's like they've been they've played like nine nineteen events already or something. Uh, as of now, yes. Yeah, yeah, as of that moment. I mean, I know the show is recorded for the twenty fourth, but it's hard to believe that many events have already gone by. It's just, right. it's unbelievable. It's just, it just every year it just you know it, it catches up on you and then sneaks up on you and then boom, they've already got twenty events going. It's yeah, crazy. it's funny because. Um, uh, on two episodes ago, which was actually last week, because we we're recording this one right. this week, and, right. and you're listening to it next week <laughs> we, we were through event number five and then i sat down to, to do the update and i'm like i was surprised i get all the way up to event 19 i'm like i'm, I'm still getting events that are finished how events are finishing like two or three events are finishing every day it's really crazy how yeah. they manage all that so um all right well i'll do my normal thing i will read through all of it and then we can uh, pick and choose what we're going to talk about right yeah yeah all right ryan d'angelo winner of event seven which was a fifteen hundred dollar no limit Deuce to seven says the game is, quote, the purest form of poker. He says it's two streets, it's before the draw and then after the draw, it's do they have it or don't they? It's all metagame, it's all leveling. Ian Johns was the last in chips, 201 out of 201 players at the end of day one, but came back to win event eight, which is a $1,500 horse event. Alan Percall, who won event nine, which is a $10,000 buy and heads up event. That heads up play reminds him of playing chess. Mike Cordell won event 10, $1,500 six handed, just one week after his mother died. He had been the caretaker for his mom, who was legally blind, for the past six years since his father died. Event 12 was won by Ryan LaPlante and was not only the less expensive, least expensive PLO event uh, in World Series of Poker history, five hundred sixty-five bucks. It was also the largest live PLO tournament in poker history, two thousand four hundred eighty-three entrants. Man. Jason Dewitt won this year's Millionaire Maker, which attracted seven thousand one hundred ninety entries. And finally, Phil Hellmuth earned his one hundred sixteenth World Series Poker Cash in Event Eighteen, the three thousand dollar horse event, and that is the most caches for any player in World Series history. Man. Uh, I'll go back to the first thing you mentioned, D'Angelo. Uh, yes. he, he's absolutely right. It is absolutely, you don't see any cards. It's only before and after, and it's, do they have it or don't they? He's so right. It's it's pure. And there's no limit betting, too. Yeah, and there's so. no limit, so you can bet as much as you want. It's pure poker. You're absolutely 100% nailed it on the head. And I think we've kind of mentioned that before, too, where, you know, it's it's when you can't see any cards, it's pure reading ability and and 
you know, tells yeah, from betting. Yeah, so I guess stuff. that's the discussion is, I'm not so sure I would say it's the purest form of poker. I think it's the purest form of what people want, po- many people want poker to be, right? Yeah. No Limit Hold'em. Now that No Limit Hold'em took over, people like the whole reading of players and the betting and that, and if you like that, this is the game for you because that's all this game is, right? Right. Um, now, there's still a bunch of people like uh, like me out there that like stud and Omaha and games that it's not about the betting and not always about the reading. It's about the actual strategy of the cards that you see in addition to that stuff. Um, so I, I'm not sure what I would say the purest form of poker is, but but I would make the distinction that it's based on your interpretation of what you think poker is. But I like I like his comment. It, it's true. It's all... Some people would like that. It's do they have it or they don't. I don't like that at all. I, I'm <laughs> I'm the guy on the roller coaster that closes his eyes and screams on the first hill, and then loves the rest of it. <laughs> so when they came out with these uh, propulsion roller coasters where there weren't no hills and they just bam and you're shot, those were awesome. <laughs> I rode those roller coasters all day long. But then when I get there and the nephew goes, "Can we go on that one, Uncle Scott?" And I'm like, "Do you see that big hill? I don't want to go on that big hill." <laughs> It's different. So this is the same thing. Some people like the, uh, I'm going to raise you and put you to a test. I'm not one of those people. But if you are, this is the game for you. And I can get why you think that part is the purest part. Is it because you're a chicken? It is. Because you don't have any information, right? You have yeah. zero information. Well, no, I enjoy playing it. Um, I, I just, I, I don't think it's the same kind of poker, right? I think it, it's really just a betting thing at that point, right? I mean, there's some poker, obviously, because you got to decide what would draw, what cards you want to keep, and that. So there is a lot of strategy. Don't get me wrong in that. Um, that that's card centric, but um, but after that part, then it's just looking that guy across the table and like, all right, I don't think he has it. I'm gonna. And I I I think this is a game that I would really want to watch on TV with whole cards. Yeah, maybe. Because I really want to see the best people in the world. Uh, at this game, play it and just see how they make their decisions and watch people because it's different. Like, you know, no limit hold'em when you watch that on TV, right? There's a lot of that going on, but you don't know, you know, there's a lot of other math about all the odds of the cards and the, on the flop and turn and all that stuff, right? Yeah, that yeah. kind of complicates it. Yeah. Here, you're just, you know, this guy either has it or doesn't because you're seeing his whole cards, right? Right. And you know, this guy either has it or doesn't because you see his whole cards. But neither of them have any idea other than just the old Mexican stare down, right? Right. And um, and to see the person that does better at that than the other person, that would be a fascinating thing for me to watch and study. I like when when you say pure form. I to me, I think I understand what he's saying because there's no information other than what you think you're interpreting information to be that's why i think he means right, pure right. because it, once oh, you're playing yeah. stud or hold them there's cards out there that give you information that what you you know for a fact that you have the nuts on some hands whereas there is no way you can know you have the nuts unless you have a royal in this game or, or in this game a wheel you know deuce of seven or whatever right. but you know what i mean so unless you have two three four five seven you don't know for sure if you're going to win this hand and you don't know what this guy has or lady has and it's like okay it's pure to me that way that's why i think he means by pure it's pure mental because if it's right, there's about, no information to be given except for betting how about the purest form of no limit poker hmm 
Well, what if you played that it? I could get on board with. So then, let me ask you this: If you played it limit, you'd say it's the purest form of limit poker. No, I wouldn't. Okay. I think it's a completely different game, and I think Ryan would agree with that too. Yeah. Once it makes a limit rather than no limit. Yeah. Hmm. Because in in limit, it's not do they have it or not. It's well, or I'll call one bet and find out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's right. A completely different game, right? Right. And I totally understand what he's trying to get at, and what you're trying to get at too. So I guess what I'm saying is that. It, it, it's got to be because it's no limit. I mean, because I, I think there's something pure about stud. That might be my choice if I had to pick the purest form of poker out there. Right. But it's a completely different game than this. Right. And completely different skill sets. So I'm just saying this is the inter- – everybody has their own interpretation of what anything is in the world. You know, you look at that car. Oh, it's purple. No, it's fuchsia. I'm like, huh, what? No. <laughs> fuchsia. Clearly purple. Yeah. Um, so it's just interpretation, right? But, right. So, but if you're in the purple, that car is a purple camp, then you might say that is the most purest purple I've ever seen, and you would be correct because that's opinion. But right. if I am in the other camp, I'd be like, nah, I've seen better purples. There's some uh, impurities there. I I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um. But it, you know, and that's the that's the game that the the pros. Oh, that's like what they one of the ones they cherish to win. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, it's it, no, it, it takes to a them. lot of skill and a different kind of skill. I mean, we're going to have the same. We're going to be chasing our tail here, but I am certainly willing to admit that it takes an amazing amount of skill that can't be taught to win this game consistently. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I could sit down and I could read a stud book or a bunch of stud books and go out there and be very competitive. I don't think you can read any books and be competitive and know the Medusa 7. You can read about the mechanics of trying to figure out your cards and stuff and maybe some tips and pointers on how to bet. But for the most part, this is all learned. It's experience and dealing with players and reading them and figuring out who you can put leverage on, who you can't, when you can put leverage on them, when you can't, how much leverage to put on them. That's the appropriate amount, but not too much to hang yourself. That's... That's really that's high, high quality stuff, and I'm not there. So, yeah. Huh. A lot of other stuff too. Isn't it amazing now that we we put these numbers on here and we just read them, and it's kind of like, eh. I mean, seven thousand one hundred and ninety people, or at least entries for the Millionaire Maker. Yeah. yeah. I, that number is mind boggling, but you now we're just it's just commonplace now. We're just like, yeah, seven thousand guys showed up. Well, because it, it, it looks so weak after the twenty five thousand and the, uh, <laughs> the losses, right? It's just crazy. But even so, I mean, it, even if they took the Colossus out of it, we'd still be like, yeah, seven thousand. You know, yeah. we, we expect that. You know, well, same with the PLO. I'm thinking, well, two hundred, two thousand four hundred eighty three is the largest ever. I'm like, all right, I guess it is. But I'm like, then you start to think, I'm like, oh my god, I know, <laughs> twenty four eighty three. That's a lot of people. So, uh, Mister Seidel, were you uh, really? Yeah, com- that's right. Were you surprised that you know, it was such a low number? And you know, what seven hundred ninety players? I think that's a big number. You know, you got to go way back to appreciate that joke, everybody. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping you're still true. listening from day one. It's but. A but in Helmuth too, that cash. I mean, at first when I saw it on the file, I thought, "I'm like Scott's got a typo here or something," because it's a bracelet. I'm thinking he won his 116th bracelet, and I'm like, "What?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's cash." Okay. Um, yeah, that this thing about 116 times. I mean, I don't know anybody who's cashed 116 times in anything. Never mind just the World Series. Yeah. He's phenomenal. Absolutely, very consistent. Unreal. 
Um, some nice feel good stories too, you know. Yeah, it's always nice to see that. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the Olympics of poker, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because we're the Summer Olympics coming up, and we're going to have all those little feel good stories from NBC about you know little Johnny's mom driving three hours one way up the hill both right, ways. Right, right. <laughs> so he learned to swing on the pommel horse, and you know. Uh, so it's nice to see we have some of those in poker as well. Um, but good stuff. And like I said, it just it creeps up on you. And, you know how how many events have already gone by. By the time I come back from vacation, you know, what I mean, they're going to be done just yeah. about. So yeah. that that show's going to be a big show. <laughs> it's going to have a lot of, a lot of recapping in that show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, any updates? Dover Downs Hotel and Casino in Dover, Delaware, will be awarding Antioch Poker Cruise packages for two for our November 14th sailing out of Tampa to the top five finishers in a $65 buy-in tournament on July 3rd. For more information on this event and all of Antioch Poker Cruises, go to AntiochCruises.com. And Harris, Southern California, is including an Antioch Poker Cruise package for two for our Alaskan sailing. As part of the $10,000 in prizes it will be giving away in its cash and splash drawing on June 25th, so right around the corner. Players can earn raffle tickets and cash games all month long in June. For more information on Antioch Poker Cruises, go to AntiochCruises.com. What's that website again? We really should get that on there. Um, AntiochCruises.com? Did you say AntiochCruises.com? Should I spell it out? I, I, no, I'm sorry. I thought you said AntiochCruises.com. No, right. no, I said Antioch. Because it's really AntiochCruises.com. Right, exactly. Yeah. AntiochCruises.com. Wow. I want to make sure I'm phonetically saying that properly, too. Um, <laughs> each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at AntiochMagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Anthony Phelps. He says, I subscribe to around a dozen poker podcasts, and yours is one of about four that I listen to every week. But this is the first time ever writing to a podcast. At 35.40 into the May 27th episode, Chris, yeah, Chris <laughs> said that Scott gets stuck in his tournament head and makes tournament moves too many times at the cash game tables. Being a predominantly tournament player myself who dabbles in cash more and more frequently lately, I feel I may be unknowingly making similar mistakes myself. Please describe what you meant by this uh, comment and give several examples. The more the better of these types of mistakes. You know, uh, I emailed him as well to, get, to give him kind of a, a clue of what I meant, but you, you emailed him first. Which I thought was funny because I'm like I'm preparing this email to send him, and then you, all of a sudden, boom, Scott's email comes. Out. I'm like, man, give me like ten minutes to respond to the guy. But we were on deadline for the magazine, so I was waiting until I was off deadline so I could write it. But uh, but tell him what you said first, and then I'll I'll wrap it up. Um, wow, I was expecting you to start, so I, I'm trying to remember what I told him. Um, I guess I'm going to say that um, I. You know more of the specifics of what you meant by that, but I, I gave him some general ideas about the differences between tournaments and cash games. Not that he's an idiot, doesn't know it, but I wanted to point them out, and then from there, then you can kind of come up with your own list of examples. So, right. you know, for example, in a tournament, when you're out of chips, you're out of chips. In a cash game, you're never out of chips. You can always reach into your wallet and put more money on the table. Now, of course, you don't know whether that person is going to do that or not, so some of that but but you can right so right. Th- there's more peril in tournament than cash games so i think that affects some of your decisions 
Um, and then there's also a time crunch with tournaments. You've got a clock. Blinds are going up. And so you're forced to make moves and do things that you're not forced to do in a cash game. A cash game is always going to be one, two blinds the entire time you're sitting there. You play 12-hour sessions, it's going to be one, two uh, when you first sat down and one, two when you go to bed. And so you're not, you don't have that pressure to make play different kinds of cards or play them more aggressively than you wanted to because you you get this clock and this thing um, coming down on you. So if you can think about that and just apply that to when you're playing, I think you come up with your own list of examples. I mean, we could sit here all day coming up with them, but I, I, I like to teach people in a way that they can use the information to apply it as they continue to grow in the game, right? Right. So I always think if you can keep those things in mind, then you're going to figure out the situation. And then you can ask yourself, hey, in a tournament, I would be, <clears throat> you know, pressing here because I only got $40 in my, you know, I'm short stack. I got to go with anything, right? But well, right. you don't have to in that. I mean, you can put another 200 on the table if you want and not have to have that pressure unless you want that pressure. Then uh, uh, was that so hard? No, it wasn't actually. Right. Um, basically, I said what you said. And then, I, I mean, I told him... There are certain hands that you'll play in certain situations in a tournament that you would never play in a, in a cash game, and then vice versa. Like, in other words, you might fold ace-queen in tournaments because you're like, I don't want to go broke with a queen in my hand, blah, blah, blah. But in a cash game, you're going to play ace-queen unless, you know what I mean? There, there are certain, there are cards where you would play, um, in a cash game, I'm not going to play deuce seven, you know, just because I have position, whatever. You know, right. if I'm going up against a player, that's pretty tough. But in a tournament, I might play do seven because, you know, it. I don't have to show down a hand. In a cash game, guys will call you all the time sometimes because they can just go right back into their pocket. Whereas you might avoid that hand in a tournament because, you know, you won't avoid that hand in a tournament because you know they're going to be scared to get knocked out of this tournament. There, there are just different nuances to the games. And I think during the episode, you know, I just... I think Scott, sometimes when he plays cash, he'll look at ace-queen and just fold it. And I'll be like, well, this is a cash game, man. I mean, you need to try to play hands in a cash game. You're going to get all their, their their money because you know they're going to buy back in. Whereas in a tournament, you're you're thinking differently. You're thinking about being eliminated, being eliminated yourself and, and gaining chips. And it's just a different situation. I think that the types of hands you play change. The blinds never change in a cash game. So you can be creative and experiment. And the other thing I said to him was, if you if you were first to enter a pot and you only had 30% of your stack that you started with in a cash game, you're not going to shove with ace-nine off. Right. It's just a waste of money. Right. But in a exactly. tournament, that you'd be getting all your money in with that yeah. because you're like, I got to shove sooner or later because I, I, have, I have to have at least a stack that's uh, effective. And in poker, in, ha- in cash games, you don't have to do that. You could say, you know what, give me more chips, or I'm folding this ace-nine because the blinds don't go up. I still have, you know, 30 big blinds or 80 big blinds because it's never going to change. If I have $40 in front of me and it's a 1-2 game, you know, I still have 20 big blinds. It, it, it's, it's just a different animal. And sometimes if you let one game leak into the other, it could hurt you. Now, I'm not well, saying that... that the same lessons from each don't help each other in each, each discipline. I'm just saying that there are things that you shouldn't be t- being so rigid about your tournament game when you play a cash and vice versa. That's all. Absolutely. 
Right. Um, you were starting say, to say something. Yeah, what were you going to well, say? Well, no, I was just going to say in cash, I mean, you can have a different strategy sitting down at the cash table every day if you want. Now, you could probably do the same in tournaments, but I think it's harder because the tournament, if you're playing the same, let's say the same $60 tournament at 11 a.m. in your poker room every day, um, you can adjust a couple things in that, but generally you need to have the same solid strategy, right? Right. But cash, you could sit down and I, and this is something I've always wanted to do and I haven't done it. So maybe since we get a little break here, I might just go over and play one two someday and try it out. But you could sit there and say, I'm only going to play pocket pairs today. Yeah. And people probably aren't going to pay attention because it's cash and then rather than the tournament where they're paying more attention than they are and. You could just play, you know, so I could sit there and take my, uh, you know, play open face Chinese on my phone all day, look down, okay, pocket fours, right, I'm in, uh, seven, eight, I'm out. <laughs> That's right. Or ace king, yeah, out, fold, uh, I'm only playing pocket pairs today. Um, and you can get away with that because you can sit there all day and you can put more money on the table and you're never going to go out and the blinds are never going to get bigger. So it's just a matter of how much you, you want to commit to that session where, is a tournament. It's a great equalizer. I mean, that's. I guess that's why I like tournaments more than cash games. Um, at least in No Limit, is that it's a great equalizer. That you know, I, we've said it on the show before too. I sit down at a table with Bill Gates at a tournament. We're equal. You know, it, his massive wealth is not going to affect this tournament because we only we both get five thousand units. <laughs> that's yeah, it. Yeah. When he's on, he's on. Now in a cash game, uh, if he's sitting at the one-two game with a one three hundred max, so yeah, he can only buy him for three hundred. But he could shove every single hand if he wanted to. He'd keep putting three hundred in and go home. And the wife's gonna go, How the, "Oh, I lost fourteen hundred dollars today," and she's not gonna cry at all, right? Right. <laughs> so, so we still have the fifty billion, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we still have the fifty billion. <laughs> right. So I mean, so those are some of the differences, I think. Yeah. I mean, you, you could really talk about it all day, you know. Yeah. Like you said, that's a great idea that you could go and say, "I'm only going to play these hands" because it can't hurt you. Because it's, on, I mean, as far as you know, the other way, if you did that in a tournament, you'd be blinded out. You're I'm get also a- interested whether you could do that to to become a better tournament player. Now, again, we're we've spent like the last 15 minutes talking about the differences too, but um, it, it would be an interesting thing, you know. If you're having trouble playing suited connectors, just go to the room one day, play one two. No limit, and only play suited connectors. Yeah, and see how you play them from different positions and everything. Right. I mean, obviously, it's not a tournament, so the reactions not going to be the same. But you can get used to more comfortable playing with them and looking at the flop and how people react to the flop and stuff. That and that might help you in a tournament. Whereas if you go to a tournament and say, "Hey, I'm just going to play all suited connectors in this tournament today," <laughs> you might get one <laughs> before you're out of the tournament, right? Yeah, you're wasting your money. Yeah, exactly. Whereas you can still win with those suited connectors cash in a cash game. I had this, this this discussion a little while ago with someone else. They were, they asked me every time, you know, I um, people ask me what I do for a living, and I tell them, and then they they say, "Oh, do you play a lot of poker?" And I'm like, "I used to play a real lot, but now I play a little bit." And blah blah blah. And then they say, "You know, how do you how do you you know I I can't I'm so nervous about this hand or how do you play this?" And it's you know you just tell them you know they're it's like when we teach the poker one on one to these people too. You know, we give them something to hold on to and go and do that. It's the same thing with, like you say, go to a cash game, hold on to that. You know, how are you going to play with these suited connectors that day, and see how you do, and then translate that. Because you can see how people, how how hands unfold and stuff like that too. There's other reasons to play uh, these cards like this, and then they could transfer that into your tournament repertoire or whatever. 
Right. Um, but yeah, it, there there are worlds of difference between the two animals, and uh, and there are a lot of similarities too. But that's not what he asked, and he never really got back to us either. I hope that helped him. Yeah, hope it did. Yeah. Okay, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at anteupmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com, poker's best social networking site and home of the Anteup Group discussions. Comes from Shelly Gray. She says, we were in a tournament where they uh, were blinding off an absent player. When it got to his final all-in hand... I was flabbergasted to see the dealer protect his hand and turn the hand over on the river to expose the winner and push the absent player the pot. How can an absent player win a hand and advance in a tournament when the rules clearly state the hand should be dead when the last card is dealt? I was told this is because of the the rule that states all hands in an all-in situation must be turned over and exposed to prevent collusion. How can a player who isn't even at the table be involved in collusion? This resulted in the absent player knocking out two players and advancing in the payouts to third place. This seemed like a total insult to the remaining players as it completely negates the sport and intellect of the game and turns it into no more than just a game of luck. Similar to a game of bingo, however, even a bingo player must be present to win as they must yell bingo in a timely manner or the prize goes to the next winner. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. The cruise ships are probably going to come up with this sometime, right? Where you don't even have to be there. You just, <laughs> you just buy it and go away. Buy a ticket, program it, and then it's uh, bingo. Let me know uh, later if I want. And you come back later. Oh, look at all this money in front of me. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, this is what I love about the Call of the Floors, because I always like to try to give uh, everybody my opinion, but I tell them, you know, hey, we're going to pass on to Elliot. But this is my opinion. And I biffed on this one so hard. And it's kind of embarrassing now that I read Elliot's Aww. response. But. Uh, but this is what Elliot says. He says, This situation turns a rule designed to prevent collusion on its head. The main reason for turning up all hands whenever the action is complete and at least one player is all in is to prevent a player with a larger stack from intentionally mucking a winning hand so as not to eliminate an all-in player. This was clearly not the case with an absent player on the brink of elimination. The absent player should have should have had no cards and no chance to win a pot. Yeah. Makes and, perfect sense. I yeah. don't know. I let myself go crazy on this I don't even want to know what you said. No, I, I, I don't even want to get into it. Um, I remember the first time I ever seen, seen this happen, too, was uh, Sam's Place down in Sarasota, one eye Jack's Poker Room. Yeah. And we were down there for the bounty tournament or something. You and I always went down there once a month or so. And sure enough, the guy was all in, and uh, they just took his cards. And I'm like, he can't win. And they're like, no, he's got to be here to win the hand. There's nobody there. There's nobody in that seat. And I was like, oh, that makes sense, you know. And then you're right. That's, and then, if anything, it would go all the way back to rule one. And he'd say, you got to do what's best for the game, what makes sense. So these two, two poor two people who were there who took the time to stay and play and everything and get knocked out by somebody who didn't care and left. It wasn't there. That's not right. you got to let them stay. Yeah. So, yep. all right. Hey, we've got awesome. a brand new O'Malley's move this week. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a friendly 50-cent, $1, no-limit hold'em, pot-limit Omaha, mixed home game. This game can get a little loose pre-flop and oftentimes is pretty passive after the turn. Not a lot of chips exchanging hands. The game is six-handed and we've been playing for roughly two hours, sit pretty close to our starting stack, and are in the no-limit hold'em round. We have 110. The blinds post, the under-the-gun folds, the MP calls, cutoff calls, and we are on the button with the ace of hearts, jack of spades. 
okay, okay, so this is probably a raising hand, six-handed. But after a few bad sessions, we are a little gun-shy. We limp. The small blind folds, big blind checks, and with 450 in the pot, we see a mixed bag flop as the king of diamonds, jack of clubs, four of hearts comes down. It gets checked to us, and rather than pushing anybody out, we check as well. I don't like betting into three checkers. The pot is the same, and the turn is the six of diamonds. The MP makes a $3 bet into the pot. The cutoff folds, and we think for a time before making the call. The big blind folds. The MP is a decent player, but she can step out of line occasionally. When she gets bored, she plays loose, and she's been bored tonight. She sits with $95. The pot is $10.50, and the river is the king of spades. This may have helped our hand. We have kings and jacks with an ace kicker. As we're contemplating our move, the MP makes a $7 bet into the pot. So, does she have a king? Is it a weaker jack? Or maybe a missed draw of some kind? What's the move? It's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at anteupmagazine.com. This new guy, Vic G, never heard from him before. We're going to see whether he can send us a good Hand of the Week. Do you, do you feel like it should be Hand of the Week sponsored by Vic G? <laughs> I think he does. I think he should actually send us money. Yes. Or Vic G's Hand of the Week. Vic G's Hand of the Week. I, from now on, you got to say it like that. When, when, when it's his Hand uh, of the Week, yeah. you got to say, all right, it's Vic it's G's Hand of the Vic Week. Vic G's Hand of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Vic. I'm, I, he just he makes me think a lot more than, than I normally want to because I don't like the smell of burning. Um, <laughs> but he plays a lot, you know, and that's great. I wish no, I could I play as much as he does. He sends us a thousand hands. That's why you hear from him often. And, and, and I try to moderate it so as we get other people sending us hands, I you know use their hands first. But um, but he's always like, you know, hey, you, you don't have to respond to every, all these hands. Yeah, and I'm just giving you stuff so you guys have material in case you ever run out. Right. So, and we do appreciate it. that. Yeah, we totally appreciate it. And his stuff's always good, too. It always but makes you think. But that's just thing. I mean, he doesn't send us bad hands. He sends us very interesting hands. So that's why we use most yep. of them. So. Absolutely. All right. Uh, this week, he says, I'm playing a nine-handed $1, $2, no-limit hold'em game with a $400 max buy-in at my local Florida poker room. And it's on Veterans Day, so you can see this is almost a year old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. During a $150 high-hand promotion. The high-hand every 20 minutes receives $150, and the rest of the players at the table receive $25. So there's more chips than usual on the table. That's good. The bad part is the promotion has brought in a lot of players that I've never faced before. I'm in seat one with just uh, over $1,000 and under the gun. Big stack is on my left in seat two with over $1,600. The villain in this hand has squiggly 275 and is in seat five. The only read I have on him is from a previous hand when he flopped trips, slow played the hand, rivered a boat uh, against another player. No one at the table showed any pre-flop aggression other than me in seat two. Our standard opening races have been 12 to $15. So I'm under the gun and look down at the King of Hearts, Jack of Hearts. Oh well, I mean, I'm I generally would fold this hand. Yeah, I, I generally I would always fold the hand. Yeah, I would under the gun. I would. That's fold what makes Vic a different player than us. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, if I'm in a cash game and I'm feeling good and I've got a ton of chips in front of me and I got a real good re on the table and they think that I'm overpowering them or something, I might raise. Or if they think I only play big hands, I might raise. And so it depends on the table. But generally, if I'm going in fairly cold, and I don't have a really good read on these people, whatever, I mean, King Jack's in the muck every time. You know, uh, I always go back to Dan Negreanu, who says, you know, King Jack, they call it the rookie hand, because it looks good, but only rookies play it. Yeah. 
And I'm not saying Vic is a rookie because he clearly is, you know, a better player than we are half the time. So, but King Jack, I mean, it's just a terrible hand. It's a trap hand. It's it's a horrible hand, really. And if you get top pair, you, you could if you get if you make a raise here and somebody calls you, they could very well have you dominated. And then what do you do when you hit one of these cards? You know, so it's just it's a real scare hand to me. I, I would generally I would fold it unless I knew the players I was going against were just totally inferior and I could either outplay them later or whatever, you know. But I don't like to play cards that I can get trapped and lose money on. Well, I promise this is a coincidence. Um, you know, I put a lot of thought into how I design each show's notes, mm-hmm. but I don't go to the length where we talk about the difference between cash games and tournaments, and then I have a hand of the week that kind of proves my point. But it, it, it is a coincidence. I'm looking at this, and I'm like, this is one of the examples for our, our friend Anthony Nadrodian, is that in a tournament, there are times I'm going to feel like I need to play King Jack under the gun. In a cash game, I am never going to feel like I need to play that hand. Yeah. So obviously, we'll see how this hand plays out, how why Vic decided to play it. But this is just a hand that I think is almost always going to get you in trouble whenever you play in a tournament or a cash game in this position. In a tournament, I'm forced to, so I got to figure out. In a cash game, I'm not forced to do anything, so I'm just going to fold it and not worry about it. Yeah. And I let myself get in that trouble. But I guess we'll find out. Okay. All right. Um, uh, all right. So, what's the move? He says, "I check under the gun." How do you check? You missed something. Vic, Vic is confusing me now. Maybe he means uh, limp. Let's go with limp. That makes more sense. Okay. All right. I. "Quote unquote limp." I <laughs> uh, says, "I'm happy to see a flop of this hand. If someone raises, I'll reevaluate, as I'll likely be playing the hand out of position. The big stack and C2 calls a two-dollar uh, bet, as does the villain in C5. Small blind calls, the big blind checks, and we're five to the flop with ten dollars in the pot. So, so yeah. clearly limped. Yes, yes. very good. Uh, flop is king of spades, <clears throat> jack of clubs, four of spades. Both blinds check, and the action is on us." Well, that's a nice flop for us. It's a nice flop, but that's not why we play King Jack, right? Yeah. Um, or to have a nice ripper. <laughs> Got a lot of trouble brewing here in the sand, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to protect against, but you do have top two. It's pretty good. Um, I don't know if I bet. It depends on the people behind me, what they're at, they play like, but I might bet. You know, I might put a feeler out there and try to thin the field just because there's, there's a lot of players on hand. I think it's a, this is an automatic bet here. Well, I'm just, well, the only thing is I was just curious about what's behind me. You know, it might be one of those hands where you think somebody will try to steal it or whatever or bet their draw and then you can come over the top and get some more money in this pot. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'll probably bet him. What's a 10 in the pot? Yeah. yeah I, I'd, I'd probably bet 10 to be honest yeah, with you. Absolutely. That's what I'm doing. I think you have to bet here. There's so much danger that can come here and we, we need to start collecting some information. Yeah. Rather than holding back, right? Yeah. I mean, if we get a lucky hit a king or jack on the turn, then it's fine. But I, I, we can't count on that, right? right? So it very well could be a spade. It very well could be an ace, a queen, a ten. You know, all those kind of hands. And then we don't know. So I'm going to collect some information here, and we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, here it says I flop two pair, but there's both a straight and a flush draw. Both blinds check. Actions on me. I'm going to. I'm going to bet with top two pair. The blinds can have anything. And one of my opponents might have hit a piece of this flop or be drawing with position on me. There's only $10 in the pot. 
Betting anything less than ten dollars will not fold out the draw, is my opinion. So I decided to bet twelve. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. He says, even betting 120% of the pot, I know I'm likely still to be called by straight flush draws. He says, remember, this is a 1-2 game on a promotion day in the poker room. It's filled with recreational players. You know, hey, I'm right there with you. I'm actually wondering whether it should have been 15 or 20. Yeah. <laughs> sounds kind of weird, right? Right, right. Um, and uh, he says, I think, uh, okay, I think betting anything more than that $12 will fold out weaker kings, or I might get played back at with combo draws or sets if they think I've got a strong hand. Recreational players sometimes go all in with flush draws in the spot, thinking it's the correct play, especially if one of the spades is a jack of spades. Uh, the big stack is seat two folds. The villain is seat three calls, and both blinds fold. That worked out pretty well, our hero says. So how many callers did he get? Uh, we're heads up now. Heads up. Okay, good. So he says, we're heads up with $34 in the pot. The dealer turns the seven of diamonds, making the board king of spades, jack of clubs, four of spades, Jack of Diamonds. It's Jack of Diamonds or Seven of Diamonds? Seven of Diamonds, sorry. Okay. King of Spades, Jack of Clubs, Four of Spades, Jack of... Oh, I did it again! <laughs> You're killing me. Slow down. slow down, slow down. All right, here we go. King of Spades, Jack of Clubs, Four of Spades, Seven of Diamonds. Third time's a jerk. Or that card did not hurt us. I mean, the only way it hurt us is that this guy just didn't believe us with a pocket pair of sevens, you know. Exactly. Even if he had King Seven or Jack Seven, we're still ahead, so... And it probably helped us if he misread the hand like I did. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we get a caller. Feels like the caller is drawing. It, it just from the initial, why would you just call? Unless he had a, some sort of king queen, maybe. Uh, even then, we're still ahead. So I feel like we need to bet again. There's 34 in the pot. I'd say 25. Okay, I might even go higher. I might just bet the pie here. Keep betting the pie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We always tend to make our bets two thirds the pot on the turn and the third on the pot on the end because the pot's so big. Um, just because it's not huge numbers, I mean, you shouldn't real still play the same way with your percentages and stuff. So I don't know. I, maybe maybe thirty, but probably twenty. I would probably bet twenty five here. Okay, somewhere in that range is fine. Yeah. Uh, Vic G says this looks like a blank. Since I don't have any experience with the villain, he could have a weak king, be drawing, or be slow playing a set. Action is on us. I can't let the villain draw for free, and, decide, and I decide to bet. It's only 1-2, and he's likely a recreational player. Uh, unaware of pot odds. I don't want to make it cheap and bet 38 in the 38 pot. If he's on a draw, he should fold. He thinks we're only... Uh, um, oh, I see. I don't want to make it cheap. So I bet 38. I was going to say, because the bet was 34. The pot was 34, you said before. Um, all right, so he overbets the pot. Okay. Four, which is kind of more closely to what I said. It is. It is but it's, I like his thought process. That's why I was willing to bet the pot is that, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, he's coming up with all these recreational players and, and this film is following his lead. But okay. if that's the case, they don't really know pot odds, right? So the more you bet, the more you get the, oh, wow, that's too much. Yeah. So, or if they call, then that's great. You made a huge mistake, right? as long as he doesn't hit his card. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so here it says, if he's on a draw, he should fold. Uh, our opponent thinks for only a few seconds before sliding out a stack of 20 red chips. Wow. So it's 62 more for me to call into a pot of 172. He says, well, this only represents a third pot raise. Recreational players don't think of that. They just think that $100 is a big bet. Any more information you want to give me before I have to say no, something? Right, right, no. yeah. um, right. Wow! Well, look it, at the cow there, sir. It just seems weird if he had something that beat us. Why he would wait to not protect that hand to the turn? 
Yes. So if he if he turned a set, that's the only hand seven seven. And why would he have called the bet on the flop if he had seven seven? He has two overs. He would have gotten out of there. Seems odd, right? Yes. Yeah, right. I think we're ahead here. Yeah, I think we're ahead. Um, I don't know about calling though, because a calling just means that you're, you're doing it for his price, and he still has control of his hand. And then where are you going to be on the river when a, a draw gets there? Well, all right. So uh, Vic is obviously established that this guy's a recreational player in his mind, right? Right. I mean, we're not there. We're so we got to trust him, right? On this. So mm-hmm. and he says that this hundred dollar bet is big for these players, which is. So if we think we're ahead here. I guess my fear of making a big re-raise is then the player's going to smile and sheepishly fold his card. Oh, you got me, right? Yeah. I think, I, I mean, our goal now is to get as much money out of this guy since we've decided that we had the best hand. We could be wrong, but we've decided we had the best hand, right? So in that sense, I'm almost inclined just to call and maybe check the river even and let him make another stab at this. Hmm. Well, the other thing is that if this guy is a recreational player and he's emboldened enough to make a raise and he's sold on the value of his hand already, he thinks his hand is good enough, I don't think he's folding. That's one of the things that I, when I'm at a table, I can almost generally gain enough information from these people to know when they believe their hand is good enough, that's when I make my most money because I know their hand's not good enough. So if he's convinced he has the best hand... And this guy's betting a hundred, and we know we have the best hand. He's not going anywhere, so why not just get it in now instead of making yourself think on the end and check on the end? You know, if something comes that scares the hell out of us. You know, uh, it could be a queen of spades, you know, or something like that, where he had king queen, and now he's made two pair, or he's had two, two spades and was just trying to. But if this guy is completely sold on, I have a better hand than Vic, and I'm going to raise him. Well, I'm not going anywhere. And even on the river, if Blank came on the river, I wouldn't go anywhere if he bet again. So when I, it's, if he's betting 100, that would get us to 175. And then you take off what our raise, our bet was originally was 12. So now we're in the one, basically 160. I'm not going anywhere on that river. Right. You know, so I think I just shove. Yeah, I like that. I think it makes sense. If, yeah. he, if the guy is convinced that he's got a good enough hand to raise it, what's he raising us with? He's not raising us on a draw. He thinks his hand's good enough. The only hand that beats us is a set. And even a set, we have outs to. If it's not a set of kings or jacks, so right, right, I'm betting it. All right, I like it. All right, our hero says the only other hand I saw him show down was one he slow played. Maybe he flopped a set, but why would he worry about the draws now after the seven of diamonds on the turn? He should have raised in the flop. I still think a small part of his range contains draws. Who can tell with these recreational players? Yeah. It may be a weak play, given that, one, I think it's unlikely that he has a draw, and two, having said that I'm not likely to fold to a two-thirds pot shove on the river, but I just call. I just hmm. hate these non-committal plays. I should either fold or shove. But what, I, uh, but what I'm thinking about is preserving enough of my 1,000 stack to take a big chunk out of C2 in a future hand. Interesting. Wow. See, that's, that's like meta there. Now you're thinking about... Yeah other hands with other players while you're still trying to win this pot. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I agree with him. I would just shove. Yeah. The guy started with 275. He's only got 160 or one whatever left. You know, he's not going to fold if you raise him. And if you have the best hand, he's going to call. So. All right. He says, with 234 in the pot, the river is the 10 of spades, completing a board of oh. king of spades, jack of clubs, four of spades, seven of diamonds. 
Ten of Spades. Oh, that's like the worst card ever. Well, <laughs> it's the worst card in that it completes Broadway and a flush. Yeah, yeah. That's the just has got there on one card, so. Yeah. <laughs> Not that the guy's betting a draw, but you never know with these players, like he said. And now you have to think about it instead of just getting it all in before and knowing that he either would fold if he was bluffing or, you know, wouldn't fold and you had the best hand. Now you got to guess again. Ugh. Jeez. I'll check. Oh, yeah, I think we got to check, and then yeah. we'll, just, we'll see what happens, right? Oh, All right, Harris says, this is not the river card I wanted to see as it completes both straight and flush draws. I take a look at the villain. He's just sitting motionless, staring at the board. I don't think I can bet here, as only a better hand is likely to call me, but I also don't think I could fold if he shoves. I decide to check. One of my reasons is that if he bets and I call, then he has to table his hand first, and if I'm beat, can simply muck. Also, if he has me uh, crushed and wants a call, he may not go all in and opt to bet less, so I'll save a few chips. As on the turn, he only waits a few seconds before sliding another stack of 20 red chips in the pot. Pot's now 334 and 100 for me to call. He left 60 behind. What's the move? Well, I mean, really, I, I don't have any problem calling. You're getting three and a third to one on your money with the top two pair. Yeah, without even skipping ahead here, I'm just thinking this is the only option is to call the way Vic set it up, right? Because he wants to save as much of his stack for this other guy, right? Right. So his extra 60 is meaningless here, I think. Yeah. Yeah, unless you were convinced you had the best hand, which in this, how could you be? Yeah. You know, there's no reason to just put that extra 60 in. Somehow I've talked myself into losing now that this guy caught something. All right, maybe I can talk myself into a fold, but that's even really hard. That much money in there. Yeah, that much money in top two. And with the way he's explained it, you can't shove now, I don't think, because that, that goes against what he said, even though it's 60 bucks, but still. So I, th- I think he, he's boxed himself into a call here, and it's probably fine. But Here's the only thing, though. I don't is, think it's much of a decision, though. Here's the problem that we don't usually have on this show. We have not come up with the hand this guy has and would play this way. Yeah, that's true. What hand does he have that he would have called our bet on, first of all limped with called our bet on the flop with raised us on the turn with that 7 and then bet another 100 on the end when that 10 came it didn't scare him at all Does, is it really king a draw jack? could it be the same hand could be the same hand that's a good that's a good thing maybe it could be king jack he limped limp he would limp with the king jack maybe you would only call the bet with king I, although i don't know would you've called a raise yeah, there would have raised with king jack yeah I'm trying to find the hand that this guy has that makes perfect sense to the way he's betting it. If he had the set of sevens, he wouldn't have called the bet on the flop. Right. If he had a set of fours, he probably would have protected it. But maybe not. Maybe. But he even, even Vic said, wouldn't he have protected that against that really wet board? What hand does he have that he's betting it this way? Is it really a set? It could be a set of jacks, but then even that, it's a case jack then, and he's and he's not protecting his hand at all until another card peels off, you know. And what, if he had jacks preflop, he would have raised. So I don't, I really don't know what this guy has. That's that's the bad part about making this call is I'm calling and having no clue what he has. Yeah, absolutely no idea. Yep. But at the same time, I have top two, and the hands that I'm trying to put them on don't make sense. That beat me, so I have to call. Yeah. I think you're right. All right, what happens? I'm dying to know. 
Alright. Uh, Vic says, I take a long time with this decision. I hate this spot. I honestly don't think he has a straighter flush based on his action on previous streets, but he's probably a recreational player that always play how you might think. I don't want to level myself, so if he doesn't have a straighter flush, what does he have? Would he bet $100 with a set? I think he would check it down when the 10 of spades hit the board. I finally conclude that he doesn't have a flush, straight, or set. So top two must be good, and and I have no idea what he has. So it's funny that wow. we don't, that's, and he doesn't either. That's the same conversation. Actually, yeah. I finally called 100. Raising uh, was never an option. So good, and he's sticking to his plan, right? Yeah. And opponent tables, king of hearts, seven of spades. Ah. Yeah, there you go. Vic says he limped with that. Now it makes sense, I guess. Why yeah. do recreational players make it so difficult for the grinders? <laughs> well, why would he limp with that hand? Why don't he just let that go? Yeah, well, like, you know, I mean, he's, he's proven it all through this hand. Vic said this is a recreational player, and I think at the end he proves that he had correct on that read. And, yep. you know, they just, they're there to have fun for the day, right? Yeah, he should have shoved on the river. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, he left 60 behind. Cause I got uh, that's funny. No, but really, now that you think about it, King 7 makes sense as far as how he played it, but initially you don't put him on King 7 limping with it. Well, who limps with King 7? Off. You know? Well, and I think the lesson here is the players that aren't to Vic's level is Vic just gave you the perfect playbook for playing against those kind of players, right? Yeah. When you make plays and things that don't make any sense in the poker world it confuses the people that spend all their time studying right yeah and leaves them lost vic is a great player you're a great player and you were lost at the end of this hand yeah lost and we ended up winning the pod so that's great but (laughs) we had no idea just this strong inkling that we had the best hand and that's pretty powerful i think but let me ask you though okay i agree with you he confused us but he still lost. How do you convert that to winning and confusing us? Because the, the only way he beats Very us out of his hands is if we fold. Very good point. Uh, I that that's you got to figure that out on your own. <laughs> okay, so so you got along, you're Christmas. You've given us some pieces, <laughs> but you haven't told us the picture of the puzzle yet. All right, but that no, you're right though. It, it, we were both, and it's funny that they almost used the same wording to describe. We came to the same conclusion at the end that we have no idea what this guy has, but we can't fold either. Right. That's bizarre. All right, I am Chris Casenza. <laughs> and I am Scott. We'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at AntiUpMagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. 